Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Today on the show, we've got Ben Lapidus with us. He is the CFO for Spartan Investment Group. Uh, where he's applied his finance and business development skills to construct a from scratch portfolio of over $100 million assets under management and been instrumental in building the financial backbone for that company. Prior to Spartan, Ben has completed over 50 real estate transactions. He's also, and we're going to dig into this a little bit, he's the founder and host of the National Best Ever Real Estate Investing Conference, which I have amazing things to say about that conference, uh, among lots of other uh, real estate related endeavors. Without further ado, Ben, how are you? Welcome. I'm, I'm well. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. So I, we connected, this is several years ago at one of the best effort ever conferences. Um, and and um, that was a huge pivotal turning point for me personally, because I met some future business partners there that literally, man, changed my life. It was at that conference in Denver several years back. So I want awesome. to kind of personally thank you for that. And, and I want to talk more about best ever. But before we jump into all that, I, you know, I want to just kind of understand your background. I like to ask guests where you're currently based out of and, and what was your journey into, into real estate investing? Yep. Currently based out of Denver, offices in Golden, right at the gateway to the Rockies. Uh, originally from Jersey, uh, went to Rutgers thinking I was going to be an investment banker. 2009 happened. Uh, my final internship was an awful, awful experience. Realized I needed to, to do an about face. So I did not accept the offer to join Wall Street with Barclays Capital and instead uh, went to Costa Rica and started a study abroad company that over a three-year period from 20 to 22 years old, grew to about $2 million in revenue. We had uh, almost 500 students a year from 10 different countries come in at about four grand a pop, 12 day all-inclusive, three credit experience. Uh, that business is still around today, but at 22, I departed um, and got into a couple other startups that failed, did a half a decade in ad tech. But uh, right when that ad tech half decade started, I sold the Costa Rica business and put the money into uh, real estate. And six months into that first ad tech experience, a bunch of really cool people who were young, uh, but older than me, just made a bunch of money on the IPO. They heard that this 23-year-old kid was buying you know, $60,000 houses, $20,000 rehab, and making 20% cash on cash. So I accidentally syndicated uh, like a dozen, dozen and a half single family properties, which when I was 24, transitioned into my first multifamily purchase, 38 units. Uh, I realized that I love slinging deals. I love real estate. I love leveraging my financial acumen to negotiate, find a, a good deal. It, it satisfies my shiny object syndrome where I can you know, jump from one deal to the next. Um, and similarly, I learned that I am not a good operator, neither on construction management nor property management, even if I have a property management company for me. I've gotten better since then, but that's still certainly far away from my superpower. So um, I got a little bit of hubris after riding the appreciation wave and thinking I was hot shit uh, and got into flipping in Chicagoland, remote flipping. And the first couple went well enough that I you know, put some big money down and lost some big money. I threw uh, about $200,000 into a trash fire. 
uh, just a dumpster fire and learned my lesson on hubris and youth and out-of-state investing and not doing things as a team and, and just being a bit over my tips. Uh, so that's when I moved out to Denver. I started the Best Ever Conference knowing that I was kind of starting to experience a little bit of uh, um, just too much coming at me. I needed partners. So I, I wanted to make a splash for myself um, and just kind of have a national recognition. And so I started the Best Ever Conference, just like you. I met my, my partners or, or people that I thought were very cool that became my partners, uh, which then became uh, the Spartan Investment Group as we know it today. Um, and now we have 150 million assets under management for self-storage. We've got four or five active construction projects uh, totaling over $50 million in budgets. Uh, we have a team of almost 30 people, 13 corporate with four headcount out. And 2021 is about to be a bang up year. 2020, we were listed as the eighth fastest growing real estate company in the country, number 308 across all industries. Um, and uh, we're just getting started and it's pretty cool. I love it. That's a fantastic overview. There's a ton in there. Um, I want to go back to your, your internship and your about face, like going, doing an internship trajectory for wall street and then Costa Rica. What, what, what happened in there, man? Was it like one night when it just dawned on you or was this, was this a long time coming? That's a huge about face. Like you said, it wasn't one night, but it wasn't a long time coming either. It was over maybe a month, uh, a month or two. So 2009 happened. I was actually in China when shit hit the fan uh, with uh, the global financial crisis. My mom worked for Bear Stearns and I was in China on a, on a, like a short-term study abroad. And uh, I was reading the perspective of what was going on from another country uh, at 18. And um, I realized that everything was about to be terrible, but I just didn't know how that was going to affect me. So that summer, I decided I wanted to get I wanted to get the full experience of this is 2008 full experience of being um, a investment banker working 100 hours a week even though I didn't have an investment banking uh, internship that year so I worked for Novartis 40 50 hours a week and then I would go right from Novartis to a restaurant and work six hours a night um, just to not even for the money just to see how it felt to work 100 hours a week. Wow. Um, and when I was working at the restaurant, people were like, what do you want to do, young man? Like, hey, what do you want to, whatever? And I would say, oh, I've got a finance degree. Like, I'm going to go work for Goldman Sachs or something. And uh, more than one or two people told me, ah, you're going to go work for the devil or, ah, okay, you're going to go join that, that shit show. Um, and, and so that started getting me thinking, <laughs> feeling a little bit judged. Uh, what, what am I really getting myself into? Because I didn't, I didn't know exactly what the industry was. Uh, so then when I got the internship, which everything had evaporated for my class of, of, of folks. So it was like, I had, I had, I had my pick at, at one point in time. Did I want to go work for city Goldman, whatever. Uh, and it just all evaporated. Luckily for me, I thought Barclays came in and bought Lehman brothers fixed income business late in the year. And they needed to kind of catch up on the internship program. So I was able to slot myself in there on the fixed income side working in exotic credit derivatives, the exact instrument that kind of brought the world to its knees. Seriously. Um, collateralized debt obligations, first default swaps. So I got to see it in real time. Obama froze the markets. Everybody was like kind of crying and regretting their career choices. Uh, everybody was angry. The Barclays people were angry. The Lehman people were angry. They were just writing money off left and right. And there, was, there wasn't much to do for an intern. So I shadowed every department I could find, FX, banking, global wealth management, debt trading, uh, equity trading, research, debt and equity. And it all looked awful. Um, so Costa Rica was just like a place that I wanted to go. Um, 
for no good reason. And I thought, you know, maybe there'd be some real estate down there. I emailed 60 different hotel owners saying, Hey, like, let me come work for you four days a week. I could do anything from, you know, bus boy to playing the guitar at night to being your bookkeeper, like whatever, just give me three days a week to go explore to just find something else to do with my life. One guy got back to me and he said, you can come, we'll figure it out. I don't want to talk to you until you get here. So I show up, he had no memory of that conversation, but he fulfilled his <laughs> promise and he, he kind of gave me time and about a week into it, tourism was dead. He had maybe two customers the entire 30 day period I was down there at his hotel. So we went over his wall of dead dreams and one of them was uh, um, an education program for um, Costa Rican elementary school students to visit wind turbines, geothermal facilities, hydroelectric facilities. In 2009, there was, it was the only place in the world where you could find a commercial renewable energy facility of every type within a 30 minute drive of each other at that location. I was like, well, that's a unique selling proposition and the sure. liability in Costa Rica doesn't exist. They will do things for free because they value education so much. So I can get in for free with no insurance, with a unique selling proposition of all this stuff in one place. I could bring this back to uh, university students. And so I did. And, and it worked. I love it. I love it. Thank you for the detail on that, man. That is, that is awesome. Costa Rica is a beautiful country and what a cool time of your life to be able to, you know, uh, walk away from this thing while the world's collapsing, go do something totally different and have it be a success. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I want to pivot over to best ever conference. Um, it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's fantastic conference, but let's kind of, let's talk about 2021. Um, I haven't started digging in on it. Is it, is it on, is it virtual? What's the date? All the good stuff. Yeah, man, it's on, it's virtual February 18th to 20th. Uh, it's priced for a virtual conference relative to past years. Um, and what is, what makes it so worthwhile in this world of saturated virtual content? Um, and that's, that's a great, question to ask. Should I answer that question <laughs> that I just asked of myself, Devin? <laughs> let's see. Why not? Yeah, let's do All it. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the selling proposition is if we can crack the nut of virtual networking, I think that will be the will continue to be the premier place for commercial real estate investors, syndicators, operators to hang out. Um, and so all of our focus is on, yeah, attracting the, the top-notch speaking talent and, and subject matters, keeping people's attention, but really just having the technology, the platform, and but most importantly, the culture to have um, good virtual networking, uh, keeping people engaged. So we're getting people networking now. If you sign up now, we place you, um, we have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Our team has a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, no extra cost. And we find out where are you at in your career? Who do you want to meet? Who do you want to know? And we put you in a group of six to eight other cheerleaders who are in a similar place of where you are. Um, to start masterminding today. They're not the partners or the money or the deal flow that you're going to want to find. There are six to eight people out of the thousand plus that we expect, but they are people to, who are going to be there to get to know you so they can network not only on behalf of themselves, but on behalf of you as well, the entire networking group. So we're trying to prime that culture up front. Um, we are using technology platforms that allow us to have pre-recorded sessions for sponsors so that you can say, you know what, I'm not interested in this. I'm going to go hang out with this education, but also have one-on-one -on -one sessions as well as cafeteria style, one-on-one -on -one, uh, virtual networking, excuse me, as well as cafeteria style virtual networking. So imagine you show up to a virtual kind of lunchroom cafeteria where you can see the six faces, three of them you recognize around a table that's got a multifamily title on it or another table that says, you know, uh, 
business 401ks or SDIRAs or syndication law or reggae plus or whatever, self-storage, mobile home parks. So, you, and you can see the faces, you can see the subject matter and you can just hop in and out. So we, we, we need the tech and we need the culture and that's what we're focused on. So it's still going to be the premier place to kind of come home and see all the people that you see on a regular basis nationwide uh, virtually. I love it. I love it. So it sounds like you guys put a lot of thought into the virtual networking component of it. I, you know, we've had some experiences locally. We do some some uh, different events and meetups, and we've been forced to change that in 2020. And at first, I wasn't too too hot to trot for it. You know, another Zoom meeting or whatever the case was. But yeah. the once I started doing some of these virtual networking events, I realized, well, I, after it's done, I, there's no drive. There's no you know, there's no being yeah. out late. There's no, uh, there's so much of the logistics stuff just poof, gone. You go, huh, I think that was a, a decent trade-off. So in, the, in terms of a, in terms of a conference, you know, I'm just booking a, a hotel right now before we got on here for an event I have in January. And I'm looking at, I haven't booked a hotel room in a while. And I was like, geez, you know, it's a thousand bucks here for a couple of nights and yeah. airfare and all the other stuff. Not that the cost is a, a big deal, but logistically it's kind of exhausting to, to go to these conferences. So uh, we'll just, I would just say to folks listening, it, you know, if you're trying to network and, and grow your network and, do all those wonderful things that networking allows us to do. Uh, consider the benefits of not having to do, deal with all that logistic stuff of flying out. I mean, look, I'd love to fly to Denver and have a beer with you and, and yeah. can't wait till we do that maybe in 2022. But um, sounds like you guys are really teed it up to be super valuable uh, in a virtual format. And there's some, there's some positives that come out of that too. Well, as of right now, Colorado's got a limit of six people gathering. So choice wasn't even in our hands. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, not going to happen. Um, awesome. Well, we'll um, what's, what's a resource I can link to kind of in the show notes here for, for best ever? Is it just besteverconference.com or? Yeah, I think besteverconference.com will redirect. BEC2021.com would be the okay. direct, direct site. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, if you're listening to this, there'll be a, a URL in the show description. You just go click that. Make sure you pull over before you do that, but it'll be in there. Um, I want to switch a little bit to Spartan Investment Group. You're, you're the CFO of this company, um, specifically around self-storage and just kind of selfishly and for the for benefit of the audience, obviously. We haven't done any self-storage. I, I don't know that we ever intend to, but I would love to get some high level metrics for, you know, I do multifamily. We talk all the time about expense ratios and price per square foot and rent per square foot and all this stuff. How, what does that look like in self-storage? What is, what is an expense ratio in self-storage rule of thumb for, for just ballpark? Yeah. Expense ratio can range anywhere from 25 to 45%. Low. Really low. It's a really big range. Yeah. So the bigger the facility, the more revenue it can generate. So for example, Black Diamond, Washington, where rents are 24 bucks a foot, which are really, really high compared to Ada, Oklahoma, where rents are six bucks a foot. So you've got like a four times difference there. Vail, Colorado, where rents are $30 a foot. Um, you're going to have, if you've got a hundred thousand square foot facility in black diamond, Washington, your revenue capacity is very high. It's 2.4 million. And you could probably get away with a sub 30% expense ratio. 25% seems very reasonable. However, if you've got a 30,000 square foot facility in Ada, Oklahoma, where your uh, revenue potential is 150 grand, I would think that a 35% expense ratio would be a little bit aggressive. You know, you might want to be in the high thirties getting, getting close to 40. Yeah, that's, thank you for that. That's awesome. Um, what do you got? I know you do a lot of storage. What do you love about storage and what do you not love about storage versus other asset classes? 
Yeah, so uh, what I love about storage is that it meets Spartan's evaluation criteria. So we went through strategic planning process when we decided on our uh, commercial real estate asset class focus, uh, and it meets the three easies. Uh, ease of maintenance, ease of uh, management, and easy to monetize, really, to, to evict. Um, so, you know, in storage, you don't have a lot of sewerage pipes busting on you. You don't have tenants calling and toilets breaking down. And uh, when somebody doesn't pay, it's not their livelihood at stake. So the laws are a little bit more favorable in terms of, you know, putting grandma's stuff somewhere else and then renting the unit out again. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, what we like. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, especially compared to something like multifamily or, or uh, anywhere where the person is on site, <laughs> it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be more complicated. Um, that, that's great. So how did you guys, um, well, let's, let's talk about kind of next year for Spartan. I noticed kind of right up front on the website, you guys have some, you know, strategic vision, just kind of right out there. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that and how, you know, how that came about and what you guys see for next year. Cause I thought that was unique that, uh, that you're putting the, you know, the, the, the next year's vision and beyond kind of right out there on the, the homepage of the site. Yeah. So our, our strategic planning is, is probably way more robust than any other company our size uh, by consequence of our CEO, Scott Lewis, having a, a military background where he was an information warfare officer and he has studied leadership in his master's program. So the, the combination of that, he is bringing all those skills into the business and putting extra, umf, extra emphasis onto those subject matters. Um, you know, we've networked with companies that have maybe hundred, 200 people. And they tell us very often that our strategic planning processes and kind of quarterly check-ins and weekly check-ins are more robust than even theirs, um, you know, for, for better or worse. The, the strategic planning process is something that we do every three years. It starts with an environmental scan, then goes through uh, a course of action evaluation process uh, where we eventually select a final course of action. Um, and we come up with three strategic uh, objectives that then break down into operational objectives, key results, and then tasks that get refreshed on a yearly basis uh, with a three-year look on our strategic plan. So we are now about to start year two of our three-year strategic plan. And this is the uh, second iteration of this plan, we completed uh, our first one at the end of 2019. 2021 is slated to be a, a bang up year. Uh, 2019 was all about, excuse me, 2020 was all about um, getting the right people on, on board. We started hiring beyond ownership about 18 months ago, uh, but the core team mostly kind of came along in the last 12, 13 months. Um, and so they've, they've ramped up and, and now we're kind of able to uh, double, triple our capacity. So, you know, two years ago, if I was working two deals at, the, at a time, uh, you know, under contract, it was, it was a lot. Now, sure, sure. if I've got, you know, two dispositions and, and four acquisitions and three refinancings going on at the same time, that's equal to two years ago having two acquisitions at the same time. Uh, so 2021 is likely to be a bang up year. We're going to take a couple of assets full cycle. Um, we are planning on having our biggest acquisitions uh, uh, volume yet. Uh, we've got uh, a plan to launch our RV park development strategy, uh, which could drive as much as $100 million in construction in the next 12 to 24 months. Um, and uh, storage is con continuing to be as competitive as possible, but we're making more inroads with more groups and more direct seller um, marketing strategies. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So that's a lot of activity, a lot of different asset classes. Congratulations on putting the team together to, to execute some of those things. That's fantastic. How do you guys structure your equity for all these projects? 
Yeah. Um, so we're still doing everything deal by deal. So we are, we're not a fund. So all of our investments are done deal by deal. We've recently uh, shifted our, our focus to be just equity into an equity and debt structure so that we can finance hundred percent of the acquisition with our private wow. investors. Um, and that is because uh, it's gotten, it's made us more competitive in the marketplace. We are actually closing potentially today, maybe tomorrow on a deal uh, that will be a 28 to 29 day uh, contract to close timeframe, which is, would have been unheard of at our company a year ago. Sure. Uh, and that's because we were able to raise all of the money, um, not just the equity side of it. So, so you're a cash buyer in that, in that situation. Basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you still have to put the loan paperwork together, but it's under our control. Yeah. yeah. So then you, so you're, you're able to, I and mean, that's fantastic. I, we've done that in single family. Um, cause a hundred K is different than closing uh, 10 or 20 million cash. So you close it cash and then it kind of take your time to be strategic about the, uh, about the long-term finance financing option. Is that kind of the That's setup? Right. Yeah. And it gives us, and it gives us even better terms long run because we're not being squeezed by a time frame. So That's right. we, can, we can wait around for the right terms. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, that's what a luxury to be able to do that. Right. And yeah. then that just sets you head and shoulders. I mean, we, I've rarely, if ever in kind of the 10 to $20 million deal space, see a cash buyer coming in. It's just, you know, that's yeah. got to set you guys apart head and shoulders. That's fantastic. Well, so, we have the benefit in storage of the per unit cost being lower. So the sure. per deal cost is also lower. So we're talking in the three to $10 million range on some of right. these. If we had a $20 million purchase, we would, we would still require the full time frame. Yeah. I mean, a $10 million cash purchase though, that, that's no joke. I mean, that's yeah. even, even three to come in and take the whole equity or the whole capital stack out in one shot is, is, uh, yeah. is, is really nice. So have you guys built up, uh, th those are, those are big numbers, right? Have you guys built up an investor base over the years, kind of, uh, you, you know, friends and family, and then the, the next concentric circle, or, or are you working with private equity groups or how do you like to, how do you like to approach that? Yeah, we've definitely had lots of conversation with private equity groups starting to starting to tickle a little bit into the institutional money world, but we are sure. we're putting that off as long as possible. And um, right now we have not gotten to a bottleneck on, on the capital side with our private network. So the first best ever 2016, uh, excuse me, 2017, um, I'd say we probably had maybe two dozen people on our investor list. Today, right. it's, uh, it's over 2000. Right. Um, with about 12% of them may be activated. Uh, this year, we would have raised over a share a day. Uh, so over $50,000 a day this year. Um, and a lot of it just comes down to, I, I think, our, our values and our communication. So I, I think right. people read our values. Just because you say them doesn't mean people can believe them. Right. But then once you start communicating and you communicate consistently and, and you, you do a podcast with Devin and you say the values and, and, and you, you kind of communicate with those values and you act on those values slowly over time, uh, a $50,000 investor one time a year becomes a $200,000 investor for every deal. Um, yeah. So it, over time, it's, it's definitely grown. Um, and uh, right, right now, uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunity in our, in our investor network still. We're, we're far from being tapped, it looks like.
Yeah, I love it. And as it grows, there's a network effect and treat them right. And there's referrals and it just comes yeah. to the snowball. Well, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of, of, of values as well. I kind of painstakingly put them together for my company many years ago, kind of when it was me, it felt a little silly, yeah. but um, I spent a lot of time on it and I've been extremely pleased with the results because it, it creates uh, kind of a North star for the company. So what are the Spartan values that you guys, uh, that you guys live by? Yeah, it's the acronym of GRIT. Uh, so G-R-I-T-T, two T's. Growth, respect, integrity, transparency, and tenacity. And the last three go really far for me on the acquisition side of the house. Um, operating with integrity and you know, showing that, like having stats that resemble that, um, like 100% contract to close ratio because we do so much work upfront between LOI and contract. Um, the way that we communicate with both brokers and uh, and sellers, we say right up front, listen, if you are going to be part of this transaction, Mr. Broker, I just want you to know that we will always be in your corner because we know that you can earn more with us long-term than with your seller. That being said, if you can put us in, in touch with the seller directly, you can join like however much you want, but it will be much smoother. Not because you're not good at what you do, but because when we can communicate transparently, we're able to get things done faster and that behooves everybody. So um, leveraging the in, in integrity, uh, transparency and tenacity values, especially for downstream on the team, you know, kind of pushing that tenacity value has really helped us push through on getting things done that seem, seem a bit more difficult. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I love that overview and, and, and I love that approach. Um, and hey, if the broker can stay in the deal and there's maybe stay out of fewer emails, I'm sure that's, they're a fan of that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, well, listen, Ben, this is great. I, I really appreciate you giving us some overview, uh, just a peek behind the curtain here on so many different awesome things you have going on. If somebody wants to connect with you or, or maybe with Spartan, what's a good, what's a good resource we can link to? Yeah, so BEC2021.com for the conference, Spartan-Investors.com for Spartan to learn about our investments or where, where we're growing. Uh, we are also hiring. Um, and my email is Ben at Spartan-Investors.com or hit, reach out on LinkedIn. Awesome. Lots of good choices there. Cool. We'll link to that in the show notes. Ben, thanks so much for joining today. That was uh, fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Devin. Thanks for having me. All right. See you. Thank you for listening to the DJE Podcast. For more information, please go to DJETexas.com.